cut my finger, but I don't know how. Well, that sucks. Yeah. It's been a bad week. It sure has. What a week it's been. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, we started filming a new movie, kind of, with Tyler. Yeah. We've got a project going. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but uh, he's filming me. He sure is. Well, you're filming me. We're filming you. Yeah, I'm mostly walking around. I almost broke my ankle on the first day of the shoot. <laughs> uh, but don't don't worry, people. I'm I'm getting better. I'm back on my two feet again. Yeah, that's uh, that's the danger of trying to make a movie and basing yourself in a brewery with infinite beer. Yeah, that is a problem. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna restrain myself uh, this week or tomorrow. I guess we'll be back down there. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna bring some non-alcoholic beverages. You should bring so that we don't only have alcohol to drink. Yeah, and some gum. We need a couple of packs of gum to freshen our breath in case the cops come and bother us. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but that said, it's been a. It's it's been a good year. I had a song in my head, but now it's gone. <laughs> okay. No, um, I don't have any songs for you today. I have a poem that I found on uh, Twitter. Okay. I think it's a poem. It, the way it's written is I don't know how else, what else it would be, but it doesn't rhyme or have any kind of like consistent internal structure like a poet and poem would. Right. Well, let's call it a poem essay. Okay. Uh, the girl who sucked my D and took my worries away. <laughs> Um, here's a picture for you, boss. It's a lady with a really big ass. Yeah, that ass is enormous. Yeah. It, it, it defies logic yeah, and I don't reason. Think it might not be real. Yeah. Uh, of what luck do I have to lay on the body of a man with such broad shoulders, a chest popping out like a hill from a valley, and a loins that nod like a lizard that just saw an anus? <laughs> I shy away, looking to the other side, away from her stare. Hornily aroused, her hands went down to my thighs. Swiftly, she plugged out my pen from the Tommy Hilfiger holder and sucked it dry. (laughs) While I moan out my worries to the seas. The waters that wash away the worries of men. Indeed, the seas saved me once more, and this time through a woman who sucked my D and heard my wails. (laughs) <laughs> a poem by uh it's like michael isley or michael slay s-l-e-y-y that's on twitter uh that is their pinned pin tweet so what? how delightful yeah so you know go and check that out that's a little um there's a particular term for it but i can't think of what it is it's uh <laughs> It might come to me later, but at the moment, uh, what did you think of that? I think that it was beautiful. I think that it is a, uh, you know, back in the like 1600s, there were sonnets. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we just experienced is basically the 21st century sonnet. Yeah, it was kind of a modern day sonnet, and it left me hornily aroused. I must say. Well, that's the goal, right? Yeah. My anus winking like a lizard's tail. (laughs) 
I'm going to be mixing up the metaphors there. But um, that's what I've brought you this week um, as a start to the 90th edition of the Raincoat Report. Uh, I'm Boss and Jeremy's over. No way we did that before. I'm Jeremy and Boss is over there. We didn't switch brains again. <laughs> you were thinking about uh, redoing bits? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't want to recycle that one. It's not even that old. <laughs> It ran its course pretty quickly. Yeah, our brains are pretty incompatible. (laughs) Well, uh, this week we have a special episode for our 90th episode. Uh, We are covering, again, one of the most uh, recognizable adult films in the history of adult films. Yes. Uh, And this week we are covering Behind the Green Door. Uh, which was due to a request by one of our Patreon backers, Corey. All right, Corey, thank you. Who, uh... Wait, no. No? (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Who uh, had brought up that I had said in the past that I had seen Behind the Green Door and uh, wasn't a huge fan of it. Yeah, I recall that. Uh, So... We were going to get around to it anyway, but Patreon demanded, and thus we had to deliver. Yeah. And deliver we did. Yeah. Well, not yet. We're about to deliver it. We are in the process of currently delivering. Yeah, we are in a period of gestation that will soon (laughs) usher forth in Boss talking about the green door. (laughs) Yes. I think a green door is a lizard's anus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I had to tie that all together. And I did it, however tenuously. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, so Behind the Green Door is indeed one of the most famous uh, adult films of all time. It is part of that earlier era of adult films, specifically 1972, so the same year as the release of Deep Throat. Mm -hmm. And... uh, This takes a different approach to that sort of film by creating something that's a bit more surreal and uh, strange. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely different in tone and uh, just the overall experience. Yeah, I think the film watching experience is very different. Yeah, this uh, film was the launching pad for Marilyn Chambers who uh, had an off-and-on-again career in adult film. She was also in uh, David Cronenberg's Rabbit. Oh, great. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, she's got that going for her. Her uh, last credit on IMDb, and she actually looks like she passed away in 2009 at the age of 56. Okay. But uh, on IMDb, uh, her last credit was in Porn Dogs, The Adventures of Sadie. As the voice of Sadie. Something like a cartoon? So, I don't know. Uh, this is an interesting project, just looking at it. Um, so, Marilyn Chambers is in here, as well as uh, Ron Jeremy and Tara Patrick and uh, other people like Dustin Diamond. <laughs> Uh, this seems odd because I don't know who the like target audience for this film would be. 
our Patreon subscribers, it sounds like. This is something <laughs> I think we have to watch. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, in this one, the IMDb description is, Sadie, the most beautiful yellow lab in the whole wide world, lives an idyllic, pampered life in the suburbs. One day, she comes into heat and has no idea what to do with her newfound feelings and urges. When she learns that her loving owners are about to have her spayed, she runs away to the big city where her sexual adventures begin. Wow. <laughs> now, this came out in 2009. Yes. Beverly Hills Chihuahua came out in 2008. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm going to view this as a pornographic attempt to capitalize on a hot family film property. Okay, that makes uh, sense. It sounds ill-advised, but um, <laughs> I guess we'll have to see it to believe it. Yeah, we'll we'll get on that sometime in the future. Um, this film was also directed by the Mitchell Brothers, um, and their story is interesting as well. <laughs> I, I don't know much about it. You got anything you can tell me? Well, I mean, they were one of the key producers of adult films on the West Coast, but um, perhaps the most notable thing about the Mitchell brothers is uh, the death of Artie Mitchell. Uh-huh. Um, let me just read this uh, yeah, just couple read. of paragraphs from Wikipedia. Yeah, just go right ahead. On February 27th, 1991, Jim Mitchell, in response to demands by friends and associates to, quote, do something about alcoholic cocaine-addled Artie, drove to Artie's house with a twenty-two rifle that he had inherited from his father and fatally shot the younger Mitchell. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, do something's a really vague piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, O'Farrell dancer Julie Bajo, Artie's lover at the time, immediately called 911 and the police arrested Jim minutes later. Marilyn Chambers spoke at Artie's funeral, and he was then buried at Cherokee Memorial Park in Lodi. After a highly publicized trial in which Jim was represented by an old friend, Michael Kennedy, by then a prominent attorney, the jury rejected a murder charge and found him guilty of voluntary manslaughter. Uh, that's one of those things where I don't quite know where the line is in the know, law. I don't know what the distinction is. He went over and shot him like a... Like old yeller, right? Like, maybe it's because it wasn't. I don't know, because like maybe the jury found it not to be premeditated. Although him showing up with a rifle makes it questionable. Yeah, showing up with a rifle and having apparently people, multiple people, saying he needed to do something that seems premeditated to me. <laughs> but I, uh, the jury heard a lot more information yeah. than this paragraph that we've read. Are you sure it wasn't just an in and out situation? I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, that's definitely interesting. Before Jim's sentencing, numerous people spoke on his behalf, presumably appealing for clemency, including former Mayor Frank Jordan, Sheriff Michael Hennessy, and former Police Chief Richard Hongisto. Mitchell was sentenced to six years in prison. One of the outcomes of Jim's trial was that the California courts allowed, in a precedent-setting decision, a computer animation reenactment of the murder to be entered into evidence. The animation was produced by Alexander Jason, a crime scene analyst, who had first planned to make a video to show the complex series of events that ended with Artie's fatal shooting. The animation showed the positions of Jim, Artie, the bullet impact points, 
and the path taken by bullets as they entered Artie's body. This was the first use of a 3D computer animation in a criminal trial. In his final argument before the jury, Michael Kennedy had attempted to mock the virtual reality reenactment. However, the success of this method led to its use in other trials. So, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. That is absolutely... um, All the stuff about VR, I didn't expect it to go in that way. Yeah. But um, I want to see it now. I wonder if I can find that. After he served three years in San Quentin, Jim was released in 1997 and returned to run the O'Farrell Theater. Jim established the Artie Fund to collect money for a local drug rehabilitation center and for the Surf Rescue Squad of the San Francisco Fire Department. In 1990, Artie had been caught in the riptide off of Ocean Beach in San Francisco. Jim had paddled out to help, and the Surf Rescue Squad had aided in the rescue of both of them. The Mitchells, out of gratitude, issued lifetime O'Farrell passes to the squad members. Excellent. Artie's children have denounced the fund, claiming that it is intended to whitewash Artie's murder. On their website, they describe their father's murder as premeditated and motivated by greed and jealousy, and claim that the depictions of Artie in the books and movie are inaccurate. Shortly before his death, Jim wanted to change California's nickname to The Prison State and design a license plate saying so. Yeah, that would have been a good good PR move for a whole state, I think. <laughs> He uh, intended to protest the efforts of law enforcement officers and prison guards to lobby for longer prison sentences. Uh, Jim himself died in July 2007 of an apparent heart attack. Excellent. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I was I read a different thing than you. His son uh-huh. was sentenced to 35 years in prison in 2009 for uh, beating his girlfriend to death with a baseball bat. Holy shit. Yeah, not a great, a violent family. Jim's son or Artie's son? I believe it said Jim. Let me look. Yeah, uh, Jim. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, yeah, that is the Mitchell brothers for you. So wow. behind the green door, however, uh, was made, you know, almost 20 years before this. Yeah. And uh, they weren't trying to murder one another at that point, uh, at least to our knowledge. They never should have went behind that door. They, they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. So why don't we take a quick break here? We can take a peek behind that green door. I don't know if we should now. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, you would take a break. I'm going to get addicted to cocaine and I'll see you in about 20 years. All right, sounds good. Ladies and gentlemen. You are about to witness the ravishment of a woman who has been abducted. A woman whose initial fear and anxiety has mellowed into curious expectation. Although at first, her reactions may lead you to believe that she is being tortured, quite the contrary is true, for no harm will come to those being ravished. In the morning, she will be set free, unaware of anything except that she has been loved as never before. All right, let's go ahead and take a look behind the green door, shall we? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, behind the green door opens with a green screen. <laughs> Just solid green. And then we cut to a guy driving. 
and we see another guy at a counter in a diner. A truck pulls up outside, a truck driven by the driver, whom we had seen prior. Okay. And uh, he comes into the diner and sits down next to the other guy. The waitress at the diner calls over to the cook and tells him his friends are here. The cook comes up and he says, You hear the radio? They got an Italian hijacker up there. He just ordered $2 and 5,000 parachutes. I didn't get this joke. I don't, yeah, I don't know. There were a lot of, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of like air hijackings in the 70s. Right. But I don't quite get the Italian part of it, I think. I think it's supposed to be some sort of racial joke, but I, I don't so. get it. Yeah, I, that's what I'm, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know that about Italians. Maybe it was supposed to be like, if he was five, smart, oh, okay, he, he won $5,000 uh, yes, in two parachutes. Okay. We worked it out. <laughs> he's just dumb he's just a dumb old italian i i guess so uh those guys so the cook asks about the story about the green door that they've been promising to tell him so one of the guys agrees to tell the story so we then get some shots of Marilyn chambers who is playing gloria in this film and she is driving around the countryside in a red car and we get some credits on the screen. We see her signing into a hotel, and as she leaves the desk, the clerk calls and tells another guy, she's here. We see the two guys from the diner, and they're sitting at a table outside this hotel. Um, and one's telling a story to the other one who's eating cake. The story is kind of boring and rambling. Uh, as they're talking, Gloria sits at the next table over and seems to be kind of uh, eavesdropping on their conversation. Yeah, the long, rambling conversation. I wrote, what the hell is this old man saying? It's like a, <laughs> it's like a Grandpa Simpson story. <laughs> we cut to her walking outside in the dark, and as she's walking uh, in front of the hotel, she's snatched up by two goons who drive away. And some dude, I guess from the hotel, chases the car and says to stop with no success. We then cut to a red-walled room uh, with the uh, dudes from the diner in it talking to a host who crushes a football with his hands. Yeah, I don't know why he did that. (laughs) He uh, says some stuff about one of them having been there before and knowing the rules and needing to tell the other one and fill them in, and he hands both of them, like, these black domino masks to wear. Yeah, it's an eyes wide shut party. Yeah, more or less. So a woman leads them to their seats, and on stage there's a clown woman putting on a clown cap. Yeah. Or I guess she's kind of a mime woman, but she's putting on a clown cap, so I think at that point you become a clown. Yeah, once you've... I don't know where the line between mime and clown begins. (laughs) I guess with, like... I guess with the horn, because the mimes are quiet. That's true. Yeah. So once you get a horn or um, maybe even just a big red nose, I think that's the point. <laughs> Fair enough. Or your crusty the Clown wig. So the guys are led by the stage into a seat. We then see the car that snatched up Gloria being driven through a small street or alley, and Gloria's led into a building. She's blindfolded. The woman inside, 
tells the two guys to leave her, and so they leave. And so it's Gloria and this woman in here, and they're in this weird white room. Yeah. And this is, um, she's like the groomer for this club. Right. She gets the girls all loosened up and uh, accepting. She's the Ghislaine Maxwell of the situation. Yeah, that's what I wrote. That was my exact <laughs> note. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was, and I was like, I'm, my ne- my next note was like I was joking, but she immediately starts like massaging her, which is like something that she did. So right. yeah. <laughs> so the woman tells Gloria not to be afraid. She's going to tell her everything that's going to happen, but she must relax. She knows that Gloria is trembling and offers to help her. She sits her down and then lays her down on a table. The woman talks about how she was in her situation long ago, and she talked about how a woman helped her prepare for the greatest experience in her life. She then walks Gloria through relaxing step by step, toe to head, in a hypnotic relaxation way. Um, She massages Gloria's feet and legs as she talks her through her feet relaxing and her legs relaxing. She works her way up to her belly and arms, and then she pulls down Gloria's top enough to expose her breasts. She talks her through feeling sensation through her breasts and her nipples. We fade from that to the mime on stage. Uh, At this point, she's no longer wearing the clown stuff, and she's just pantomiming. Yeah, that's just mimery. (laughs) Uh, As the camera pans back, we get our first glance of the green door behind the mime. We get some shots around the room, and there are a bunch of rich people sitting around, talking to one another, some watching her, but none of them really reacting. This group is a real rogues gallery of people. Then a voice kicks in. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to witness the ravishment of a woman who has been abducted. It goes on to say that her fear has been replaced with cautious expectation and notes that at first she may react as if she's being tortured, but they promise no harm will come to her and note that she'll be let go in the morning only knowing that she was loved like she was never loved before. The voice also reminds the crowd that they must remain silent throughout. It's at this point that we see Gloria led out by a group of black-robed women who then remove Gloria's clothes once she reaches the stage. They rub all over Gloria's body and kiss all over it. One is on their knees going down on her. We get some different shots with different focuses as this continues uh, for quite a while. She lightly gasps and moans a bit. We get some shots of the audience members watching intently. The robed women lay her down on a cushion or mattress and continue to rub and kiss on her as one of them is going down on her. We get a lot of close-ups of some nipple work being done. At this point, there's zero music going on. We get some shots of Oral that keep getting blocked by something in the foreground. I believe it's actually Gloria's leg. Yeah. One of the girls starts kissing her mouth, and then we cut to that to some close-ups of a woman going down on her. Then, 
the camera cuts yes. to the green door. Ah. Now, this movie, one of the problems I do have with this movie is that a lot of it, there's no music. Right, right. Which was a very, uh, not a great choice. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, music always adds. Some scenes have it, but other ones just don't. Right, right. Um, the one coming up, I believe, does. Yeah, yeah. So, it's at this point that the green door opens. And what was behind the green door? Why, it was Johnny Keys, the yeah. African stud. Yeah, S- dressed as Screaming Jay Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> So he comes through the door and he's wearing like this tooth necklace mm-hmm. and he's got this uh, white face paint on his forehead and stuff. Yeah. And then he's wearing these like white tights that have a hole cut in them where his cock comes out. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a look. It sure is a look. It, it, was a, it would be a look that a creator in 2022 would look at and be like... Maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. But, you know. I don't know. Fashion. It's all fashion. (laughs) I guess so. I don't Um, don't understand it. So, this is at least claimed to be the first feature film that includes graphic interracial sex in it. I was wondering that. Right. uh, Just because it was so early on, I didn't think there'd probably been like anything else I could think of that we'd covered this early that would have that. But I don't think we've really even gone earlier than 72, really, have we? Uh, I we've think... We've covered some stuff from maybe like the late 60s, but... Or like, or like 71, but yeah, yeah, I can't think of anything else. So I'm going to go ahead and say the people who have watched more of this stuff are right. Yeah, probably. Now, I'm sure... There were like loops and stuff like mm-hmm. that that had had black and white interracial sex in it. Right. But uh, this very well might be the first time in an adult film. Yeah. A feature film. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is one of those things where the first step in uh, representation is just having somebody in there. So, yep. uh, you know, even if it's... Uh, Definitely bumping up against some stereotypes here. Yeah. At least he's here, and he gets to have his way. Yeah, he does what he wants. Yes, he does. So, (laughs) some bassy music starts playing now, some kind of funky bassy music, and uh, one of the girls holds his hand as he's strolling around the room, and he strolls in front of Gloria's open legs. He kneels down and starts to go down on her. And after a few moments, the music ends again. (laughs) We see a shot of her face and torso and the back of the African stud's neck as he seemingly mounts her. We see her face in a shot that goes kind of through his armpit. We see some shots of the audience and they're starting to masturbate as the stud is pumping away at Gloria. After a while, some more funky music kicks in and they start making out as he keeps fucking her. She gets real into it as the music picks up, moaning really hard and thrashing back and forth in pleasure. As the music ends, she more or less collapses, eyes closed, her head to the side. The audience continues to quietly masturbate, and the stud gets up and goes back behind the green door. The women in robes pick up the mattress that she's on and carry her away as the audience watches on. 
And then we see a harness lowered from the ceiling with a bunch of rings on ropes. Yeah, it looks like a Dr. Seuss sex swing. <laughs> uh, so we see Gloria get lifted by the robed women, and then we see three guys sitting on weird trapezes uh, that are attached to these ropes. Um, they're sitting on them as Gloria blows one of them and jacks the other two off. The audience is now undressing more to masturbate more comfortably. Gloria continues on and we see a BJ in the audience. We see a guy below her as she's riding him while continuing to blow one guy and jack two other guys off. The audience, meanwhile, is getting more and more into this and interacting more with one another, exchanging oral. At one point, they're all kind of like, they're touching each other. Uh huh. But they're all still kind of fully clothed, and so they're, they're like quite horny, but docile still. Right. But yeah. Now the movement's starting to take hold throughout the audience. Right. Uh, a woman straddles the face of one of the dudes from the beginning, and another joins and makes out with the other dude from the beginning. Uh, the audience kind of finishes undressing for the most part, and the whole thing becomes a Carlos Tobolina party. Yeah. Uh, there is some music though. There's some like acoustic guitar kind of faint strains of it in the yeah. back yeah lots of fucking and fingering uh a blonde from the audience is blowing the african stud while yeah. he fingers her there's a like a big lady rubbing her vagina yeah yeah good for her yeah yeah we see another shot of the african stud fucking a girl who's going down on another girl we cut back over to gloria who's servicing four men uh, the guy who's fucking her from below pulls out and spurts come as he thrusts in the air. We get some slow-mo, framey uh, footage as some spacey music kicks in. Yes. And things get really psychedelic for a bit. Yeah, it's great. We see a guy coming on her face and in her hair in slow-mo with uh, a big multi-spurt load. and She rubs her face on it. Yeah. And we cut and see another load that spurts on her neck and face and in her mouth. The image turns red and starts to fade out. Then we see some weird compositing of blue and red loads going into a mirrored image of her face. Yeah. And a bunch more of strangely colored psychedelic load shots. Wet shots. Yes. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they are very wet and they're all colored it turns into like a full-on andy warhol film at right. this point <laughs> we get these loads replayed at different speeds and uh different orders and then one of the guys takes to the stage one of the guys from the beginning and grabs gloria and runs out with her through the green door whoa then we cut back to the diner I don't feel like that's proper club etiquette. I don't think so, no. The cook asks the guy, well, what happened next? And the guy who was not the one who ran off with her says that, well, he didn't see them after they went through the green door, but the other guy, Barry, says, uh, maybe he'll tell the cook another time. So we see the guys leave the diner and Barry driving away in his truck. We see some shot of Rhodes, and uh, it's overlaid on Barry and Gloria kissing. 
and Gloria starts to lick and kiss Barry's cock and starts to suck on it. This continues to be kind of composited over footage of uh, driving down roads and such. She sucks away. Eventually, the composited shot fades away, and we then cut to Barry going down on her. This goes on for quite a while, and then we see her on top of Barry. She strokes his cock a bit and then starts to ride him. This goes on a bit more, and they switch to missionary position, and they kiss as he fucks away. The music takes on this weird country rock twang as we work our way towards the end. (laughs) him fucking her then we get a shot outside the truck and it just says end and then we get credits with a bunch of shots from the film so did he just take her behind the green door and fuck her is that what we're supposed to take away uh i mean i think he took her through the green door into his truck and now uh she belongs to him oh okay i think he stole her from the club that's the second time she was stolen yeah, it is. She she's, she's just along for the ride. She's never gonna get back home. <laughs> so uh yeah, that's what happened behind the green door, more or less. Yes, it was. Um <laughs> there's a lot to think about. There is I, a lot to think what about. What we just saw. Uh so we'll go ahead and we'll take a quick break and get our thoughts in order. I'm gonna puzzle it out. And then we'll puzzle out what happened behind the green door. singing (laughs) is there a bird in your house perhaps okay well we're gonna wrap this episode up soon so we'll go hunt for it we'll do some bird hunting yeah we're gonna need it when the economy collapses in a couple months and we need the the uh head on the bird economy and we've been talking about this for almost literal years now (laughs) so you all should be listening get your birds in order Get your ducks in a get your ducks in a row. Oh don't yeah! Don't count your chickens before they hatch, because the bird economy's coming whether you like it or not. So either, you know, uh, it's fight or flight, and flight's the only way to go. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to review this film, I suppose. All right. Well, I shouldn't have installed this green door in my house. Things have gotten really weird since then. Yeah. Well, the problem is you left it open and birds just fly through. <laughs> right. <laughs> the door itself is sound. <laughs> you're just not good at operating it. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay. Um, I have some mixed feelings about this film. Okay. It's uh, It's got an interesting sort of... Uh, oh my God. What am I trying to think of? You're trying to say it wasn't interesting. No, it's got... <laughs> it's got sort of like a 70s like grit to it. Right, In a right. way, like uh, something... 
not like quite as bad as like blood sucking freaks, but it does operate in that same thing where like a woman has been kidnapped and is now being exploited uh, before an audience. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't go quite that far. It it lightens up pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, But there is just a little bit of that to it, which I think is neat. It's a, it's not quite a roughie, but it's like midway between like the way of getting her there and perhaps her potential fate. It's more of a roughie in concept than execution. Yeah. I'd say that, um, which does kind of set the film off on a bit of an uneven footing because it becomes like a pretty consensual fun time after they get her through the Ghislaine Maxwell part of the, of the tour <laughs> of the club. Right. Um, but uh, story-wise, it follows like in a similar uh, thread to something like Bijou, where you're literally just in a sex club and experiencing all of the sexual delights the world can give you. Right. Um, that one, I think, is more successful than Behind the Green Door and execution and just overall levels of uh, enjoyment for me. Yeah. I will say I was... I did get a little bored at one point, which isn't great because it's only like an hour and change. Right. But uh, I think some of that had to do with the the production values on this aren't quite up to uh, even like a deep throat standard at the time. Yeah. Yeah, they're a little low. Like it's it's pretty dark a lot of the time. Um, there's no music, which I've found to be... Uh, I, Found that to be very distracting in porn films after we've watched so many. Yeah. It's like, uh, I compare porn to, uh, horror sometimes as like sister genres in a way. And, uh, yeah. A lot of the early horror films, like some of the Mar, uh, not Marvel, goddamn, universal horror films, <laughs> uh, like Dracula and I think the original Frankenstein didn't really have musical scores. And it definitely impacts how those movies hit. Okay. So I'd say a similar thing happens in pornography. Like you need the music to uh, accentuate the fucking the same way the music can accentuate the tension, heighten the fear, and you know, uh, horror. Right. Um. So this doesn't quite do that. Uh, overall, it's not a bad film. It's another one of those things. It's a classic that sort of baffles me. Right. I'm glad that we get to see a big interracial scene. Uh, Wondering if that just made so many like people mad in like 1972. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I didn't. Did you see like any controversies or anything when you were doing your Wikipedia based research? <laughs> um, not specifically about that. Okay. I'm sure there was other stuff because that was also like during the like second wave of feminism when it was kind of anti porn right. at the time. So I'm sure that came up more. Well, and, and I think that it's. I'm sure the choice to have the interracial scene, especially one with, uh, you know, an actor played as so much of a caricature, right. was put in there specifically to be like prov- provocative. Provocative, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely put in there for that, but I don't think that that itself was as much of a target for controversy as just the general fact that it was a sex film. Yeah. I think you're probably you're probably on to something there. But uh you know, it's not a bad way to kill an hour. Yeah. You got a you got nowhere to be for a while. Um why not go behind the green door? <laughs> I would say I'd probably give it 
two and a half verging on a three. Okay. I do like a lot of the psychedelic stuff at the end. I really thought that was pretty nicely creatively shot and that the use of music in that scene really improves it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that's an example and I'm glad young pornographers saw that going forward. We're like, we're going to improve on this. Cause, uh, I think you could see this almost as like a precursor to something like Cafe Flesh. Okay. Just in like the format and like the setting and everything. Right, right. Um, if not like the thematics, obviously, those are pretty different. But A uh, vision of the future and the bird economy. God, it's this episode's all callbacks. <laughs> I, did the, I did the brain switch earlier. I'm trapped in my own head. I got to get out. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, 2.75. I'm giving it that... <laughs> That fancy decimal. Uh, you've told me before we can't do quarter stars. Well, I did it this once. Okay, fine. It's because we went behind the green door and physics and numbers don't work the same back there. Once we went through the green door, we switched brains and then we switched them back again. Now I'm I'm you and you're me in a way. If I were you and you were me, then you would see me as I see you and you would see you so much differently. Believe me. <laughs> paraphrasing the henry rollins song (laughs) all right give your review all right so behind the green door is an interesting film and i think that its general legacy is a lot more attached to its meaningfulness at the time that it was released versus really its quality of content yeah definitely um yeah so you know that makes more sense to me than Debbie Does Dallas, yeah, becoming like a a cult hit, right? Um, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so this you know it came out the same year as Deep Throat and Boys in the Sand, and similar to those films, it had quite a bit of buzz around it because it was one of the earliest hardcore feature films to get a bigger than usual theatrical release, right? So, it was kind of like the West Coast Deep Throat in that sense. Uh, You know, both of these films, Behind the Green Door and Deep Throat, ultimately played around the country, but Deep Throat was a, you know, East Coast production that started its run on the East Coast, and Behind the Green Door was a West Coast production that started on the West Coast. I want a West Coast Deep Throat deep dish. (laughs) 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 So, you know, this is uh, noteworthy because it was one of two films successfully uh, prosecuted for obscenity in Suffolk County, New York in 1973, alongside the 1973 porn film The Newcomers, which I have not been able to locate, Mm -hmm. but it was directed by one Lloyd Kaufman. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's, um, is that one that's like, maybe kind of lost or is it just uh i don't know i haven't been able to find it on the internet i haven't seen anything that said specifically that it was lost but it might be maybe we can just email lloyd i feel like he might answer that's true (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll have to reach out but you know the the whole obscenity trial thing uh, is interesting because it was an important part in the early days of pornography right the whole idea that 
freedom of speech in the First Amendment doesn't apply to obscenity, but obscenity couldn't really be defined on a clear, with a clear definition. Yeah. Um, I think that the paraphrasing is more or less, I don't know how to define obscenity, but I know it when I see it, I think is what one lawmaker said. Yeah. And uh, the... Miller versus California decision of 1973 uh, from the Supreme Court redefined obscenity from that of without socially redeeming value to that which lacks, quote, serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. And so it took what was being uh, applied as community standards at the time and shifted those to these national standards. And while it really still doesn't like clearly define all of that stuff, it mm-hmm. at least gave a framework for different prosecution in the future. Unfortunately, as part of this, it also gave leeway to local judges to seize and destroy prints of films, a judge to violate local community standards. So at the end of the day, it just kind of uh, solidified what was already going on to a certain extent while adding a little bit more context, vague as it is, to how these sorts of things would be prosecuted. Um, So this is kind of, you know, again, important in the sense that it was the first big film, uh, you know, on the West Coast of this type. And mired in controversy in the same way that Deep Throat was. The actual results of this film are interesting. Uh, The film starts with a plot. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it technically has a plot. It's just not a plot with uh, a defined conflict or resolution, really. Yeah. Uh, it's just a series of things that happen. Sure, yeah. Which is, I guess, a plot, but not necessarily a plot in the classic sense. Yeah, no, it's um, it's an experience. We have, of course, our uh, truckers, uh, or at least one trucker and some other guy, his friend, meeting the guy in the diner, and he's telling the story about the green door. And ultimately, the story about the green door is... Some woman was captured and groomed and uh, sexually uh, assaulted (laughs) on stage. (laughs) And uh, then the trucker guy ran away with her and now he owns her. Yeah, he's, uh, she lives in the back of his truck. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the end of the story is not communicated to the poor cook at the diner. He gets less of the story than we got, and we barely got a story. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably confused as hell. It, it is sort of interesting in the sense that uh, it's built around this, like, imaginary uh, secret society, mm-hmm. uh, weird theatrical thing, which yeah, is yeah. kind of cool to think about in a certain way if you ignore the fact that it's about a woman being abducted and forced into sexual acts. Yeah. But uh, if you get past that, you know, the idea that you could uh, go to a club at night and watch a bunch of sex happen and jack off in the audience yeah. or fuck the other audience members. Yeah. It's a good club. It, it seems like a fun little time. It's like a fun club. I think they should 
have maybe different recruitment tactics. Yeah, they, they really need to rethink their whole uh, strategy, really. Definitely need to up their security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, as a film, it's got some interesting sex. Uh, I think that, to your point, more music would have a dramatic impact on how good this movie is. Uh-huh. Like, it's a series of sex scenes at a certain point, and... That kind of becomes tiring after yeah. a while, but it's especially tiring when... There's no dialogue there's, or anything else to really right. draw your eye except the sex itself or draw your senses, I guess, all you know, all the available senses. That's one of the things about Jess Franco's stuff, uh, more so his softcore stuff, but the fact that those sex scenes in those films have this kind of... Uh, it has a musical quality to it. I, I was almost going to say it has a music video quality, but it doesn't really have the pacing or anything of a music video. But it has that that interaction between visuals and audio that kind of create a, a real atmosphere. And this doesn't really go all the way there. But at the same time, I think we have to be a little forgiving because this is, again, when we're still trying to figure out what a hardcore feature film really is. Yes. It's certainly not the first. There were other examples to go on at this point, but it is one of the first that targeted a mainstream audience. And, you know, even though there were adult films at the time of various types, it still really hadn't been uh, solidified as a, as a genre, a formula in the same way that it would be in even just a couple years afterwards. Yeah. That said, you know, th- this film was definitely made for people to go watch and get all horned up. Maybe jack off in the theater, maybe not. Yeah. Depending on how nice the theater was you were in. Yeah. But, uh, you know, th- this probably didn't have the level of artistic... Um, ambition as something like uh the devil and miss jones and mm-hmm. perhaps not even as much as deep throat even though deep throat's more of a light comedy yeah um but even then deep throat has humor in it and this doesn't really have humor in it no there's not much humor in it like there's really like no real dialogue or anything beyond the first like couple minutes in the last couple like scene right and and it's okay for something not to be humorous, but yeah. it, it kind of lacks something to bring this up to a certain level. Like, you can go for something a bit more artistic and surreal, and it yeah. does at moments, but it kind of only, it more or less does it mostly at the end. Like, right. the world it creates is a little surreal. This mm-hmm. little club is kind of weird. It's a yeah. little Moss Eisley of... Uh, Upper class types. Yeah. <laughs> they're funky little masks. And they're the a collection of scum and villainy. Yeah, definitely. But yes. uh it, it 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 kind of fails to quite get to that level. And there had been years of psychedelic filmmaking leading up to this, so in that sense, you know, it's not a a sort of filmmaking that hadn't been done already, just not necessarily to a, a great extent in the adult world. That being said, I think that this film was certainly successful in doing what they set out to do, which was to make a splash, and uh, it certainly did that. 
and it was successful, and people are still talking about it today, and not just us. Yeah, everyone's talking. Everyone's talking about behind the green door. Everybody's talking at me <laughs> about all them green doors. But uh, something in my mind, I'm going where the sun is shining in the pouring rain. <laughs> Let's get out of here, boss. All right, so I give this movie three stars. All right. uh, it was kind of rounded up from two and three quarter stars. Because I've been told before that I can't give things quarter stars. I gave it three stars. Good. <laughs> it's a hard rule. Right, right. So, yeah, that was what happened behind the green door. So, Corey, that's what we thought about it. Yeah, this one's for you. This one's for you. Um, and for everyone else, but mostly for you. As far as I can tell, there hasn't been a great restoration of this film. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a DVD of it, and it's four by three aspect ratio, yeah. and kind of VHS-y looking. I was wondering if some of it was maybe clipped off, because it seems like the camera is not always quite centered where it should be. Yeah. So I do wonder if maybe we're missing just a little bit of, like, I mean, that wouldn't make it, like, perfect, but, like, if the framing were a little bit better, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, well, and most films at the time that this was made would have been at a 1.78 or 1.85 ratio, right. not a 4 by 3 although some films were made at that ratio in this time, but most weren't, and mm -hmm. I'd imagine that this probably wasn't originally. Right. And there might be a better release out there than this one, but just kind of doing some Googling, I, I didn't see one, so, um, you know, again, this is one that could use a good restoration, but... These adult film rights holders just kind of keep recycling the same thing. Like, even Deep Throat, which got a Blu-ray release, had, like, this really kind of old master used for yeah. it. And granted, it was at least the right aspect ratio, yeah. but it, it, you know, wasn't quite a, a Vinegar Syndrome restoration. Yeah, it probably could have been cleaned up a little bit more than it was, but uh, I remember it not looking too bad. It certainly looked better than uh, this release. Certainly, yeah. But, but uh, it looks a hell of a lot better than Star Babe. <laughs> that it does. Now, so I, I would definitely recommend people to check this out, if for nothing else than the historical value of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a bad film, but it's also one that's certainly not one of my favorites from an objective standpoint. Yeah, it didn't capture me, um, completely, I would say. Yeah, but, uh, you know, we were definitely overdue to talk about it, and we did, so thanks, Corey, for bringing that up, yep. and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, keep watching weird movies. Yep. So, if you want to, you know, uh, request some movies, the easiest way to do that would be to join our patreon at patreon.com slash raincoat report um we have a lot of fun stuff there we have early access to the episodes they're available ad free and we have exclusive episodes that come out every other week um our last episode was another 42nd street dive where we talked about some films that we had recently seen um outside of the adult film spectrum but more exploitation and horror-y type stuff, mm -hmm. for the most part, at least. Yeah. I um, throw some curveballs in there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always watching something weird. Yeah. Um, and we're doing one coming up this week. We're going to hit some 
Axel Braun parody films. Yes, that'll be the episode that comes out next week, yeah. next Friday. Yep. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about a couple of uh, Axel Braun's films in our the first in our series called "This Ain't Not that, Axel Braun." Yeah, it's "This Ain't Not Axel Braun" <laughs> because it is Axel Braun, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that'll be a fun episode for everybody. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast if you're not into spending money. We understand that. But uh, listening to us every week also helps us out and helps get the word out there. And uh, tell your creepy friends to listen to the Raincoat Report. Boss, you should listen to the Raincoat Report. Oh, yeah, I probably should. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the meantime, if you're creeping your way behind the green door, grabbing some woman that you picked up off the stage, uh, don't forget your raincoat. Yeah. Thank you.